extrapolate a lot from. Uh, and so we will we'll get started. We'll just read through four and five right now, and then we can uh, start talking about everything. Okay, so this is Genesis 4. The man had sexual relations with Havah, his wife. She conceived, gave birth to Cain, Cain or acquisition, and said, I have acquired a man from Adonai. In addition, she gave birth to his brother, Havel, Abel. Havel kept sheep while Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to Adonai from the produce of the soil, and Havel, too, brought from the firstborn of his sheep, including their fat. Adonai accepted Havel and his offering, but did not, but did not accept Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Adonai said to Cain, why are you angry? Why so downcast? If you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. Cain had words with Havel, his brother. Then one time, when they were in the field, Cain turned on Havel, his brother, and killed him. Adonai said to Cain, where is Havel, your brother? And he replied, I don't know. Am I, am I my brother's guardian? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hands. When you farm the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a fugitive, wandering the earth. Cain said to Adonai, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You are banning me today from the land and from your presence. I will be a fugitive, wandering the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Adonai answered him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain will receive vengeance sevenfold. And Adonai put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain left the presence of Adonai and lived in the land of Nod, meaning wandering, east of Eden. Cain had sexual relations with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Hanok, Enoch. Cain built a city and named the city after his son, Hanok. Uh, to Hanok was born Erad. Erad fathered Mehuyael, Mehuyael fathered Matushael, and Matushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took himself two wives. The name of the one was Adah, while the name of the other was Silah. Adah gave birth to Yaval. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and have cattle. His brother's name was Yuval, and he was the ancestor of all who play the lyre and flute. Selah gave birth to Tuval Cain, who forged all kinds of tools from brass and iron. The sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Selah, listen to me, wives of, Lamech, wives of Lamech, hear what I say. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who injured me. If Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam again had sexual relations with his wife, and she gave birth to a son who she named Shate. Uh, Seth, meaning granted. For God has granted me another seed in place of Havel, since Cain killed him. To Shate, too, was born a son who, whom he named Enosh. That is when people began to call on the name of Adonai. And also just a heads up, going into this big genealogy portion, I'm doing my best to get the Hebrew names, but I'm probably butchering them a little bit too for some of them. But I'm going to do my best. So this is five. Then. Here is the genealogy of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and called them Adam, humankind, on the day they were created. 
After Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son like himself and named him Shait. After Shait was born, Adam lived another 800 years and had both sons and daughters. In all, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Shait lived 105 years and fathered Enosh. After Enosh was born, Shait lived another 807 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Shait lived 912 years, then he died. Enosh lived 90 years and fathered Kenan. After Kenan was born, Enosh lived another 815 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Enosh lived 905 years, then he died. Kenan lived 70 years and fathered Mahalal El. After Mahalal El was born, Kenan lived another 840 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Kenan lived 910 years, then he died. Mahalal El lived 65 years and fathered Yered. After Yered was born, Mahalal El lived another 830 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Mahalal El lived 895 years, then he died. Yered lived 162 years and fathered Hanok. After Hanok was born, Yered lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Yered lived 962 years, and then he died. Hanok lived 65 years and fathered Methuselah. Methuselah. After Methuselah was born, Hanok walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Hanok lived 365 years. Hanok walked with God, and then he wasn't there because God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and fathered Lamech. After Lamech was born, Methuselah fought, lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Methuselah lived 969 years, then he died. Lamech lived 182 years and fathered a son who he named Noah. For he said, this one will comfort us in our labor in the hard work we do with our hands from the ground that Adonai cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech fathered, or Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Lamech lived 777 years, then he died. Noach was 500 years old, and Noach fathered Shem, Ham, and Yafet. So that was Genesis 4 and 5, and we can get started with the stuff that I had for today. And there's another couple uh, pieces that we're going to talk about that we can open up for discussion and interpretation too, because there's there's a couple specific portions in four and five where the meaning and the right interpretation is a little bit unclear and uh, they they kind of vary in polar opposites with different viewpoints on those issues and so the the first thing to sort of address about this and we we we've talked about it a little bit already but there there's the question of who all who all was on the earth at the time of Cain Cain and Havel's story because up to that point it it was it was probably more than just them at that point especially since they were they were grown men by the time of that story and I mentioned last week that uh there's there's the there's the issue where some of the sages say that everything in Genesis 3, including up to the birth of Cain and Havel, Cain and Abel, happened on the sixth day of creation when uh, Adam and Eve were created. 
And this isn't universally agreed upon. And uh, they either either one would have different implications. But uh, no matter no matter what was whether they were born on the day of creation somehow with the pregnancy system that existed then, or they uh, they were born later after Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Uh, what we can know is that there were by the time of this the story of Cain killing Abel, there were there were very likely plenty of other people on the earth at this time. And it, additionally, in this story, we have the first recorded murder in the Bible, but it's not necessarily. And again, the Bible isn't, it's often not completely exhaustive in its genealogies. And in many cases, there are very likely sons and uh, in most cases, many daughters that aren't reported in the genealogies. And uh, Cain and Abel likely were not Adam and Eve's only sons that existed. That actually, they, they, they could have been the only ones that, that that I suppose could be likely but they they I guess by definition they would have had to have had daughters as well if they were going to be populating the whole earth and that's that's usually typical throughout scripture and we're going to see that is that typically when you when when the Torah is reporting genealogies it it usually doesn't include the daughters the 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 men that the genealogies is going through unless though unless one of those daughters played a significant part in a story or had uh, exceptional character or just had some some general significance they usually weren't um, reported in the torah itself and i also think it's very possible that for this first little bit adam and eve were given uh, many many daughters probably more than the number of sons they were given whether Cain and Abel are their only two kids or, or their only two sons, or they had more than that. I, my guess is that they had uh, well, well over the number of sons for the number of daughters, because if, if you're trying to populate the entire earth, then having 10, 10 girls and a hundred boys isn't really going to do you any good because you can still only get 10, you can still only have 10 babies at a time to start populating uh, the earth with those further generations. But if you have 10 boys and 100 girls, then as we all know, uh, men can get multiple women, no matter what species it is, pregnant. Uh, but you can't, you can't have, that, that doesn't work if you have less, less women in the earth for the amount of men that work. So I think it's very likely that uh, they, the Adam and Eve had many, many daughters, uh, just because of the the fact that they're trying to populate the earth, and they they would need a, a high amount of daughters to do that uh, with the the speed that we see in scripture. Um, and additionally, some more just kind of evidence to show that more people existed beyond just. Cain and Abel, and that Adam and Eve had to have more children beyond just Cain and Abel, is that um, Cain had an unmentioned wife that we weren't really told her origins. We're just told that when Cain gets expelled from the garden, he takes his wife and his family with him, 
Um, and so usually there's the question of who is his wife. I think it's just one of those uh, unreported daughters that Adam and Eve likely had. Um, and he was also given the mark to protect him from being struck down after he killed Abel, which if it was just Cain, Abel, Adam, and Eve, then, then you would ask the question, you know, who's, who's going to strike him down if there's only three people in all of existence. So there, again, just in general, the genealogies typically aren't completely exhaustive. There's, there's certainly always usually daughters that aren't reported. And uh, in a lot of cases, there's, there's probably sons that aren't as well. Um, and so in getting to uh, the birth of Cain, Cain, his name in the Hebrew uh, actually means um, acquired or acquired from God, and the Kumash actually gives two interpretate two possible explanations for this name, and the first is that uh, when when she named him, Havah was saying, "My husband and I were created by God alone, but through the birth of Cain, we are partners with him," and so it. They're the first potential uh, interpretation of her naming Cain this is that uh, she, she acquired Cain from God and she and Adam are now partners with God in doing this, doing this act. Or the other interpretation that the Kumash cites is that this man shall be my acquisition for the sake of God. So I have acquired, I've acquired this man from God for the sake of God. And it, regardless of whether they had other sons or not, we, we, can probably, we can probably reasonably guess that Cain was at least the firstborn of Adam and Eve from this statement. He was, he was because, because Eve named him and said all these things in this way, we can probably guess that Cain was uh, most definitely the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And it also appears from her statement, something interesting, that uh, last week we saw in Genesis 3 that there's the, the portion in 3.15 where um, God, God kind of prophesies about Yeshua who would come eventually, the, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And it also seems to be from Havah's statement and, and her reasoning for naming Cain what she did, that she probably made that connection between the two, and she probably assumed that Cain was the seed who was going to crush the head of the serpent. But uh, we don't, it doesn't take us very long at all to find out that that is not true, and that uh, this, this promise and prophecy that was given to Eve was was still going to be a long way off and the timeline was not going to be as quick as she expected it to be. Um, and then we're also told about the birth of Havel or Abel. And there's there's disagreement about what his name means. Havel, I I I don't necessarily see why there's reported disagreement though, because Havel is pretty much literally the same word in Hebrew as the word for vapor or breath. And so I, I think this might simply mean that he, he was here and gone like a vapor. He, he was here and he wasn't, he wasn't here for very long because his brother Cain killed him. And additionally, we're told that Havel was a shepherd, whereas 
uh, Cain, Cain, was a farmer. And the Kumash further explains about Abel that it's because Havel was afraid of the ground uh, and the curse that God put on it that he chose to be a shepherd and not a, a plant ground working farmer. And additionally, the Kumash draws a connection between Havel, Moses, and David in terms of this work choice because all three of these men chose to be shepherds and chose chose a profession that was sort of puts you in uh, kind of let you withdraw away and um, be in isolation for certain amounts of time and uh, so it so it kind of draws a connection between three these three men and eventually as we saw there came a time where Cain and Havel each brought offerings to God and as as we see in the story though God did not accept Cain's offering where as he did accept Havel's and there's not universal uh, agreement up on why God rejected Cain's offering. Uh, there, there's a couple different reasons that I think it could be, and it may well just be all, all three of these major reasons, but the first and primary and the, the reason that I think is likeliest that God rejected Cain's offering is uh, in the quality, I guess, of his offering, because what the Torah says is that uh, Havel brought of the firstborn of his flock to God, where Cain simply brought the fruit of the ground. There's no mention of the first fruits or the best fruits or uh, anything, anything beyond just the fruit of the ground. And so it, it could be that his, what we have, um, sent chat. Could righteous Abel's name allude to the Ruach? Don't need to oh sorry i think that's pretty possible that it could in that it translates to vapor or breath like ruoxum usually does not vapor but rock usually translates to breath but i don't know that would be that would be something kind of cool to look into to see if it would make sense too because abel was abel was the uh the righteous one and so if there's a connection between him and spirit or the spirit, then I think that would also make sense too. But I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. But yeah, so, so with, with the offerings thing, so Abel, Abel brought the firstborn of his, of his uh, flock and Cain, it just says, brought the fruit of the ground. So nothing nothing really special it says about his and uh as we'll soon find in the torah every every sacrifice and offering that uh is every formal sacrifice and offering that is to be made is supposed to be taken from uh, the firstborn or the first fruits or generally the you take from the very very best of uh whatever whatever you're offering to god and so I think it's likely that Cain simply took just a normal pile of vegetables and didn't really do anything. He didn't really take the, the, the very best of it. He, he reserved that for himself. Whereas Havel, he, he brought the first and the very best to God and he kept everything else. Again, as we're going to see 
throughout the Torah, there's many different types of sacrifices and offerings, and they, they all have different purposes. They have different uh, ways, of, uh, ways of going about them. And uh, it's, I think it's possible that Cain simply brought the wrong one. And uh, this, this might be just because he brought plants instead of animals too, because one of, one of the big things, again, that we'll see in scripture is that blood and animal blood uh, living, living, innocent creature blood is the only thing that we we have set aside for us for atonement purposes. Blood is the only thing that can atone, and we. So I I think it's also possible that that Cain simply just didn't bring an animal. He brought the wrong, uh, wrong type of sacrifice, and so it was rejected. And still, some some scholars will say that Cain brought his uh, his offering with an arrogant or unrepentant attitude, but this theory, I would say, is the weakest of the three because it's not it's not really directly stated in scripture. And then from there, I'm actually going to read out of the Kumash. So when God when when God does reject. Cain's offering, he, he makes the statement of sin is crouching at the door and tells him to, to basically uh, re resist the sin. And so I'm, I'm going to read right out of the Kumash for what they, how they explain this uh, statement there. Sin rests at the door. At the entrance to your grave, your sin will be kept. Addressing Cain is letting him know that uh, sin Sin is crouching at the door, as he said, and he has an opportunity to repent. He has the opportunity to uh, prevent further evil from happening, but uh, we see right after that 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 was not the case. And it says that when when they're in the field, Cain rises up and he kills Havel. And after that, God God goes to Cain and he says, "Where is Havel, your brother?" and Again, like similarly, like with Adam and Eve, God first approaches Cain gently with this rhetorical question because he, he obviously knew where Havel was. Um, but it was to give Cain a chance for repentance. And Cain, misinterpreting the question as God just simply being ignorant of what happened, he denied that anything happened at all. And in doing so, he also denied his duty to care for his brother and watch over him. And to that, God responds with uh, your blood, the, the statement, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And something interesting that the Kumash pointed out is that in, in that verse, the Hebrew word for blood, blood is in the plural. And so the, what the sages interpret from that is that Cain not only killed Havel, but all of his potential descendants as well. Cain killed uh, way more than just Havel in murdering him. And alternatively, they say that this could also be taken to mean that Cain injured him in many different places, not knowing which spots were vital or fragile then, because up until that point, there, there likely wasn't a lot of anatomical study going on with how how new everything was. Um, and so here we get 
kind of an interesting section with Cain's punishment. And it says that his punishment for killing Havel, it, it has the sense of wandering and restlessness. In the statement about the ground and the crops, uh, Cain would henceforth always be striving to find a new area to cultivate, and he would wander endlessly in search of better lands. So God, God, God tells Cain, tell, he tells Cain that this will be his punishment. And finally, after initially denying it, uh, Cain repents and he begs for mercy. And he claims that this, this punishment of sending him out of Eden and into the rest of the world as a wanderer, it would be virtually a death sentence for him. He, he claims that anyone who, who meets him would kill him. Uh, my first just rhetorical question that I won't really go into too much for it is why would somebody just kill him on the spot and who would just kill him on the spot? Uh, that I don't really know the answer for that. I didn't find that anywhere. So I'll just leave that those questions out in the open there. But um and with 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 the whole the whole statement of God's punishment, there's the whole there's the the portion where it says that whoever kills Cain would be avenged sevenfold. And actually that portion, that, that's one of the one of the ones that I was talking about where there's there's a lot of there's there's completely polar opposite opinions on that issue. And we can talk through that and see if we we find one of the one of the two interpretations that makes more sense. But so the 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 traditional Jewish explanation for the whole portion about uh, avenging sevenfold Cain is that uh, it means the following. Cain was to be punished, but not before seven generations pass. And so uh, the, the traditional Jewish, explana Jewish explanation is that whoever kills him before the seventh generation came, it was to be punished himself. And so Essentially, what this interpretation says is that uh, Cain or God, in His patience and in His mercy, uh, delays Cain's punishment for murdering Abel until seven generations have gone by. Uh, but the the traditional Christian explanation of this passage, though, is that uh, he it's saying that Cain Cain was going to be punished. He was going to wander the earth, and whoever punished or whoever whoever kills Cain will themselves be punished seven times as bad I guess seven seven times as much as Cain himself um, <clears throat> and again I don't I don't really know which one is the right one a, a repentant non-murderer who accidentally killed two people and he was say what he was saying was uh, if Cain who intentionally killed somebody, his punishment was to be delayed until the seventh generation than mine who, who did not kill anybody intentionally will be delayed until the 77th generation. And the, again, there's another interpretation. The typical Christian interpretation is that Lamech was actually the exact opposite. He was a boastful, unrepentant murderer who was sort of bragging to his wives about these two killings, uh, which, if that's the case, then the, the meaning of 
a portion in the New Testament, Matthew 18, 21 to 22, would make a lot more sense. That is the portion in the New Testament where Yeshua is confronted with the question, essentially, how many, how many times should I forgive somebody? And Peter says, uh, should I forgive somebody up to seven times? And Yeshua says, no, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, or uh, sometimes written 77 times. And I think, I think that this is probably a, a sort of subtle reference back to Lamech. And previously, I thought it was pretty cut and dry because I thought the interpretation was that Lamech is just a boastful, horrible person. And what Yeshua was saying was not, or was, don't forgive somebody just seven times. You forgive somebody 77 times or don't forgive somebody seven times. You forgive somebody even to the extent of how terrible Lamech was. Uh, and so that, that would make sense to me. But the, the Jewish explanation would also make sense that Lamech was actually repentant. And there actually is more information that the, the sages and uh, the rabbis have, have brought down over time. And there's more to the story with Lamech. I don't know. I don't know how how to what extent this story is super super valid, but I I'm gonna assume at least for the moment that this story is true because it's been it's been passed down over a long period of time with with some of the same diligence that the Torah was, and so I'm I'm gonna read this right out of Kumash. This this specific phrasing of it is from the sage Rashi. Uh, he's one of the, the major ones, but the Kumash explains that Lamech was actually blind and his son uh, Tuval Cain used to lead him. One day Tuval Cain saw Cain and mistaking him for an animal, he bade his father to shoot an arrow which killed Cain. When Lamech realized he had killed Cain, he, be, he beat his hands together in grief and accidentally struck his son, killing him too. Uh, and so that's, that's, those are the two people that he supposedly killed. Apparently, it was Cain and his own son. Um, and so this angered his wives, who <clears throat> after that refused to live with him, and he tried to appease them. He demanded that they obey him and come back because he reasoned, um, since he had not killed anybody intentionally, could he be considered a murderer? As to their fears that God would punish him, he contended, if the punishment of Cain, an intentional murderer, was delayed until the seventh generation, surely my punishment will be deferred many times seven because I killed accidentally. He used the number 77 to denote many times seven uh, or just a long period, not necessarily meaning exactly 77. And what is interesting is that Lamech is actually in the seventh generation of all mankind. And so that would also make sense if what God was saying was not whoever kills Cain would be avenged sevenfold, but uh, whoever kills or that um, Cain was not to be punished until his seventh generation because uh, his seventh generation was Lamech and Lamech supposedly was the one who eventually killed it. And so Jim and Leanne, do you guys by chance know anything more about Lamech? Because I, I had a really hard time finding kind of in-depth 
explanations of it. And okay, so that's pretty much what we know. So yeah, there there's not really any consensus out there right now. There's those two very polar opposite explanations. And so I, yeah, again, I don't know exactly which one is right. And, and my mom asked the question, that initial version you read out of the Kumash sounds more like repentance than defiance. And wouldn't Yeshua's reference to Lamech refer to the same mercy God may have shown Lamech by deferring his punishment 77 generations? That actually, yeah, that's true. So, so Yeshua's statement, I guess, could make sense both ways. Uh, if, if Lamech was a terrible person, and him referencing back to Lamech might mean uh, you know you don't just forgive seven times you forgive even to the extent of uh, Lamech this horrible horrible person you even forgive him or it could mean uh, as my mom messaged uh, you just as God showed mercy by extending Lamech's delay of punishment to 77 generations you're also to extend your forgiveness and mercy so that can make sense both ways too and again it's the what jim and leanne said last week or the week before or something like that uh three rabbis four opinions and so now that we're now that we've kind of handled that portion we we get back to back to the narrative of Cain. And so <clears throat> Cain, after he leaves God's presence, he settles, it says, in the land of Node, which um, is east of Eden. And Node in Hebrew actually just translates to wandering in English. So even, even just the place that he uh, was, was trying to settle in, it has just this just overall sense of uh, wandering and restlessness and uh insecurity and there one 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 other bit about where it says Cain went there there are some interpreters that will say that Cain traveling east after killing Abel is representative of the sanctuary cities that we will see later on in the Torah but I I'm not really convinced of that and just for some background so later on in the torah when god formally gives the torah to israel uh it he he lays out this interesting set of sanctuary cities where people who have accidentally killed somebody can go to flee uh retribution by what is called the kinsman redeemer and the, the kinsman redeemer's job if one of his relative if if his designated relative was killed was to what one of the purposes of the kinsman redeemer was to avenge that dead relative and so uh, if it was an unintentional murder even though they might not be put to death because the the punishment for murder in the torah is death uh the kinsman redeemer still has the the I guess the right to come and kill them to avenge their fallen relative. And so these sanctuary cities were set up to where uh, it was sort of a safe zone where if the person who accidentally killed somebody uh, wanted to run, he could run to one of those cities and that, that city was off limits to the kinsman redeemer. And so uh, back, back to Cain, some interpreters will say, oh, and uh, I forgot to mention it, but 
the all of all of the sanctuary cities are um, they were they were for the most part in on the eastern side of Israel, and so uh, what the interpreters say that um, killing somebody east side of Israel, uh, Cain killed Abel east of the land of Eden. Um, but the 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 vital difference there is that in in the sanctuary cities that the Torah lays out, it's meant for people who kill accidentally, unintentionally. But Cain intentionally killed Havel, and so uh, this I don't I don't see really the resemblance between the two because Cain was not an accidental killer; he was he was a murderer because murder by murder by definition is intentional and it has no escape in the Torah. Um, and then <clears throat> additionally, when it talks about sort of where Cain went after that, it says Cain, the, the Torah describes Cain as a city builder and further his descendants are described as bringing about many different sophisticated skills and talents, including uh, the music making and uh, metalworking uh, and and things like that. And so the Kumash actually explains that uh, there's a tie between him being a city builder and all these uh, stated talents coming from him. And it says that uh, there, it, it's because Cain was a city builder that these talents came about because these sort of sophisticated skills usually always come about in clumped together urbanized life. Uh, where where there's a lot of people together and working towards something. And let's, oh, okay. So uh, we wonder why King was spared by Hashem since murder is a capital offense. I don't know. I, I didn't really think about that either. Because, yeah, I would... I would think that he would, he would be, I guess, in a sense, obligated by his own nature and his own Torah to kill Cain for having killed Abel. Um, I don't know. Do you guys, do you guys know why that is? I didn't really think about that until now. <clears throat> oh, we don't know yet. Huh? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. So it was like, <laughs> like a, rhetorical question but i know the answer type of thing i don't yeah that's i didn't really think about that that's uh my mom sent another message what if it wasn't a god-ordained thing the cane being spared being a god-ordained thing <clears throat> What if God provided for the protection? Wait, what do you what do you mean? What if God provided for the protection of unintentional sins? Killing. <laughs> um I don't know. Maybe it is no, I don't I don't think it would be possible from the wording of uh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what if it wasn't really a God-ordained 
thing that the kinsman redeemer had to do that. What if he provided a, a, some sort of uh, protection from that kinsman redeemer, not necessarily that kinsman redeemer was obligated to avenge the death for his Torah. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, but I think the question is, though, that, that would explain why he didn't kill him. Yeah, but, but Cain's killing was still intentional, though. Or, right. I, but what I'm saying is, what if the kinsman redeemer wasn't something that God had planned? But because that became a thing, he provided protection. But but still, that's only for the unintentional killers, though, because the oh, yeah. intentional killers had to be right away. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, that seems contrary, but. I don't know. That's troubling. Man, I here. I'm gonna use your phone to text that too. I'm gonna text that to myself, and then I will. I'll see what I can find online, and then I'll. I'll bring whatever I find next week. Is there evidence though of him doing immediate punishment really? consistently? Doing what? It's like immediate punishment consistently in Florida. Oh. You know what I mean? Like of him immediately. Yeah, I guess yeah. he yeah, yeah, I guess would still be punished for it. But yeah, still usually I think always happens right away. Or is supposed to. I don't know. And I don't think it's that he accidentally killed Abel either because I think it's I think it points pretty strongly to him intentionally killing Abel I don't know but then what do you do with David killing him? What? what do you do with David killing him? you know punish David Hold on, I, I didn't hear you. So what about David killing Uriah? He didn't immediately punish him for that. Oh, yeah, he got punished for that. He, well, he didn't, he didn't get the Torah punishment for it necessarily, but he lost right. the first kid with Bathsheba. I don't know. So maybe another Didn't instance. the two sons of Jacob who killed all those, that whole town of men or whatever, they didn't get put to death. But they also didn't. I don't think they were like speaking and being directly with God, though. I don't know. Well, I, think... I was just saying that's another example of someone who. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, a bunch of people were into today. Yeah. Even though they did it intentionally and they pre-planned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, with that question, it just looks like another one of those instances all throughout scripture where just God chooses who he chooses. And he, he shows mercy when he wants to show mercy and 
uh, he, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll see if there's anything online and we can, I'll, if there is anything, then I'll bring it next time. But if there's not, then uh, we can just sit and be uncomfortable for a little bit until we think of what it might be. Um, <clears throat> and then after the, the whole issue with Cain's punishment, it starts to go through his lineage a little bit. And there, there's, one, there's one girl mentioned um, before Lamech and his two wives. And uh, she, she, her name is Naama. And uh, as we mentioned before, daughters were typically not mentioned in genealogies unless they played some significant role in uh, a situation or story. And the reason that uh, Naama, which that, that name means lovely, the reason that she is mentioned here is because she was actually the wife of Noah. And because uh, the Kumash explains her deeds were very lovely and pleasant. Uh, and so there, that's just a little note about her, that, that name that's mentioned as the, the wife of Lamech, or not, not the wife of Lamech, I think sister of Lamech, right? Hmm. Uh, oh no, the daughter of Lamech because she was the sister of Tubal Cain, who was the son of Lamech. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so, okay. So now we, we already talked about the whole issue with Lamech. And now, now after that, we, get, we go back to Adam and Eve and we're told of the genealogy of sort of the new Abel or uh, Shate and, uh, or typically translated Seth. And one, one generation after Shate versus Seth, in the generation of his son Enosh, the Kumash explains that people began to become idolaters. And that, that, that's the second instance that I found here of completely different interpretations. Because in, in other Bibles, you'll see you'll see the sentence and people, and in that generation, people began to call on the name of Adonai or the name of the Lord, which sounds on the surface to be uh, referencing that generation becoming righteous, calling on the name of the Lord. But this, the, the Kumash and the Jewish interpretation is that calling on Adonai's name is he, in this instance, it actually means that they were committing idolatry and they were profaning his name. Uh, and so three or two, two generations after Adam and Eve, people already began to become idolaters. They began to look at uh, the great bodies in the sky, the stars, the sun, the moon, all, all of these natural things. And they began to, to find religious significance and divinity and things that did not possess them and that were not God. And uh, the, I'm actually going to read out of the Kumash again. The, the, the Kumash cites one of the other great scholars, uh, Maimonides, or he's also referred to as Rambam. It, and it explains it in the following way. 
The generation of Enosh introduced idolatry, which was, be, which was to become the blight of humanity for thousands of years. By ascribing godlike qualities to man and lifeless objects, they created the abominable situation in which to call in the name of Hashem became profaned. Rambam explains how the grievous misconception of idol worship began and developed. Very briefly, he says that it began when people felt that they should honor the heavenly bodies as God's emissaries to the world, just as it is proper to honor the ministers of a ruler. Eventually, this trend spread and became more and more corrupted until worshipers forgot about God and assumed that all powers were vested in whatever representation they chose to worship. And so we see in this third generation, the generation of Enosh, that the world is becoming it's it's starting down a really really bad slope where uh the the concept and the practice of idolatry was sort of first introduced to the world and that that plagued israel for thousands of years and it still plagues us today uh, and after after seeing that part we we get to genesis 5 and Genesis 5 is uh, our first major genealogy of the righteous line um, because, again, Cain represents the line of wickedness. Shait, Seth, represents the line of good. And Oh, and just sort of another note about it. This is another just general uh, aspect of scripture. The, uh, the original scriptures were not divided into chapters and verses so they they were originally just written on big 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 single scrolls with no chapter or verse divisions and so uh we we the the breaks that we see in chapter chapter breaks and verse breaks uh, i think it's also important to know just generally going forward that the it the the breaks that are there aren't necessarily the original or like the god ordained ones so sometimes we might have to we might have to look at what surrounds it and that's not necessarily to say that the chapter and verse divisions divisions are a bad thing because i think i think they're very useful i think it's i think it's a really good thing for memorization's sake that we and, and referencing and for the sake of referencing that we have it div divided into chapters and verses because we can just reference things quickly we can memorize it a little bit easier um or maybe not the memorization part but the referencing at least um and so today just in general about the genealogies before we get into this specific genealogy today the general idea of genealogies and the, the the offspring sections of the Torah is that they are meaningless and pointless just filler uh, that are a real a real uh, real mood killer for reading the Bible um, and that that is not true they apart apart from the fact that it's the Torah and God's word itself they serve, the genealogies serve a lot of great purposes. Um, firstly, they 
they help us a lot with timelines and knowing the age of certain events. Uh, so the, the Jewish year, because they, so, so in Judaism, they, they don't typically refer, at least in a religious context, to the calendar that we have. They don't refer to this year as 2022, uh, because they actually refer to the years as the years from creation. And so I think right now we're at 5,782, maybe 83 now years from creation. And so, um, so the, if, if we didn't have the genealogies, we didn't have the timelines with all these, all these dates and ages in there, then we would not, we would not know how old the earth is. Uh, and, and when, when a lot of the events in the Torah happened. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of a first big significance of the genealogy portions. Secondly, they also help us to keep track of uh, these righteous generations that are one day going to lead to a lot of different uh, sort of chosen people by God. Uh, we, we see this genealogy, this first genealogy leads us up to Noah, who uh, we all we all know the story of the flood. Uh, then another genealogy after that will lead us to Abraham. More genealogies eventually will lead us to David, and then even more after that will lead us to Yeshua. And so these these genealogies really help to 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 point ahead to significant figures in Scripture, and eventually point us to Yeshua. And we it helps us to know that Yeshua is from David's line, which was originally from Abraham's line, which, which was originally from Yeshua's line, or from Noah's line. Um, and then, so that's, that's sort of a second purpose of genealogies. And another really interesting attribute of specifically the Genesis genealogies is that there are 11 total throughout the whole book. There's 11 uh, formal major genealogical sections. And so uh, if there's 11 throughout the whole book, this actually divides the book of Genesis into 12 sections. And so as we're going to find soon enough throughout scripture, the number 12 is very, very significant. And even more than that, what's interesting is that the, so there's, there's the genealogies in Genesis divided into 12 sections and right in the middle of those uh, those 12 sections. You have, you have six on one side, six on the other. The hinge point between the two sets of six is Abraham. And so I think that also carries with it the sense of, you know, you had, you had these, this first, uh, it, the first six genealogies come in the first 12 chapters, because I think Abraham is around uh, starting with Genesis 12. So it's not necessarily halfway as in like the, the word count of the book of Genesis, but it's sort of halfway in, I guess, the, the, the direction of mankind, because uh, you've, got, you've got these first six sections about kind of the, the struggle, the, the descent of mankind, and then Abraham, you have this hinge point between the two, and Abraham uh, is finally the one who 
God will choose and who, who sort of has earned the right to have his descendants bring, be blessed with the Torah and be given the Torah. And so that, uh, there, there's other purposes for the genealogies, some of which I probably don't even understand yet, but those, those are just sort of my, my, the main three reasons that I, I think the genealogies are very, very significant, despite the, the sort of modern view that they're pointless or meaningless or just, just boring filler. Um, and so another thing is that we're going to see throughout this, or we, we did see throughout this list of uh, descendants of Shait that people still lived extremely long lives. And it actually isn't until the post-flood world that mankind's lifespan begins to slowly deteriorate. And that sort of goes back to what we talked about the, the first or second day or something like that, where um, the, the pre-flood world looked vastly different than the world we live in today. And so uh, I, don't, I don't have any major reasons why mankind lived a lot longer. I don't, I don't know the significance of it, um, but we, we do know that after the flood, it kind of started to drop off. And so I, I'm actually going to read the, the sort of like condensed genealogy version that the Kumash has listed out. Um, and uh, I was going to hold it off the camera, but I don't, I don't need to, I'll, I'll just read it off. So it listed off with the years that everybody lived from. And so it has, it has these 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And so Adam, he, he was born in what is technically, I guess, year zero. Um, and he died in the year 930 from creation. Shait or Seth was born in the year 130 from creation and he died in 1042. Uh, after his time, it says people began to do evil. Enosh, his son, lived from 235 to 1140. Kenan, Kenan uh, Enosh's, Enosh's son, lived from 325 to 1235. Mahalalel lived from 395 to 1290. Uh, Yared lived from 460 to 1422. Enoch lived from 622 to 987. Uh, and his, his lifespan, as we saw, was cut short because he was, he was righteous and walked with God. Uh, Methuselah was, he lived from 687 to 1656. Lamech lived from, and th this, this is a different Lamech. This is, uh, this is Lamech, father of Noah in uh, Shait's line, whereas the Lamech that we had that controversy about was uh, he was in Cain's line. So this is a different one. Uh, Lamech, he lived from 874 to 1651. And Noah lived from 1056 to 2006 from creation. And uh, so to sort of put it in perspective, Noah was born only 126 years after Adam died. And Lamech, who was nine generations from Adam was the farthest, uh, the farthest generation that Adam lived to see of his offspring.
And so when you kind of line it up like that, uh, I don't know if it does for you, but for me, it helps to sort of put it all in perspective. Um, and so uh, the, the last major thing about this genealogy that uh, we see is the whole issue of Enoch or Enoch. And <clears throat> as it says, Enoch was a righteous man and he walked with God. And so what happened was God, God sort of had him skip the step of death and he brought him straight to heaven. Uh, and that whatever heaven is, because I, I still really think I understand what the afterlife looks like, what heaven is. Um, but whatever it is, he, he got to skip that step. He went straight there. And the Jewish sage Rashi, one of the other major ones, he explains that since Enoch was liable to sin just like any other man, God took him, uh, I guess, a little early so that this possibility would not happen. So that uh, the person who at the present was super righteous, he was an extremely uh, upright person. He, he took him early so that he would not uh, be, be led into sin as he was as was prone to happen for any person. Um, and so with, with that, that's actually the end of what I uh, brought for Genesis 4 and 5. And that, uh, that leaves us off with next time with, um, with Noah. Actually, there, oh, there is something else. We at the end of at the end of chapter five we we get the the whole the the statement that Noah was born and uh, this this child he was named Noah or Noah because he would bring he would bring us rest and I'll just read this right out of the Kumash so this one will bring us rest our rending rendering follows Rashi, who relates Noach to the root uh, Noach also, or Nuach or rest. And he explains that he will bring us rest in the sense of relief from the toil of our hands. This was said prophetically in reference to the invention of farming tools, which was attributed to Noah. Until his time, in consequence of the curse decreed upon Adam, the earth produced thorns and thistles when one planted wheat. In Noah's days, this ceased. Um, there was a tradition from Adam to his descendants that the curse of the earth would be in effect only during his lifetime. But in the above chronological list of leaders of the various generations, Noah was the firstborn after Adam's death so that the severity of the curse was expected to abate from the time of his birth. Knowing this tradition, Lamech gave him that name. So Lamech named... Uh, Noah, Noach, he, he named him that because, uh, likely because of this tradition that Adam's descendants thought that after, after Adam was gone, the curse on the ground of producing thorns and thistles would go away. And so that is the, the logic behind naming him Noach. Um, and so now that brings us to the end of chapter five and the end of the <clears throat> information that I brought for today.